All right. Um, true or false? Ostriches bury their head in the sand when they're scared or threatened. True or false? I see a lot of trues. Let's do a show of hands. True, do they bury their head in the sand when they're scared or threatened? Okay, let's see the false. We about split the room on that, which is not surprising because up until this week, I thought it was true also. Yeah, it's false. So what ostriches do do, do do, is they, um, they bury their, their eggs just a few inches below the sand, and they regularly put their head down into the sand to rotate the egg, which has the appearance of a, an ostrich burying its head. So glad we got that figured out. Uh, true or false? Humans sometimes bury their head in the sand, sand, when scared or threatened. It's unanimous. Everyone is saying true. Yes. Uh, we have this saying, ignorance is what? Ignorance is bliss. And I thought this week, all right, what does exactly does that mean? And I actually struggled to, like, define it. And th this is what I came up with. Ignorance in, is bliss. It means that, that choosing not to know something that is potentially troubling is easier and thus better than knowing about it. If I don't know about it, then I don't have to deal with it. And so I, I thought, what are some things that maybe we take this, this approach to life? What are some things that we'd rather not know? So here's just a few. I'd rather not know how much I weigh. <laughs> I've got a scale, and it's got dust on it, and the batteries maybe don't work anymore. I, I don't want to know. I'd rather not know how many calories I consume in a day. I don't know how many times I've downloaded the app that, you know, I plug in the food and it tells me and, and I use it for maybe one meal and then I see how few calories I have left that day. I'm like, out with that app. <laughs> I, I'd rather not know my cholesterol numbers. I love French fries. I don't want to give them up. I'd rather not know, I'd rather not go to the doctor when I have something that's concerning me, especially if it might be a little embarrassing we men are really bad at this. Uh, I'd rather just not know ignorance is bliss. If I don't know, it can't hurt me. Uh, I'd rather not know how much debt I have. If it's just kind of like fuzzy, then I won't get so alarmed by it. I, I don't want to know my credit score. I'd How about this one? I'd rather not know how many hours of screen time I use every day on my phone. Do you know that you can go, if you have an iPhone, like it's two taps, and you can see how many hours a day you're on your phone? It's alarming. How about this? I'd rather not know, if you're a parent, how many hours of screen time my child is using. Because if I know that, then I might have to, you know, like actually parent and take that away from them, and I don't want to have that confrontation. There's all kinds of things that we choose not to know because we don't want to have to deal with it. Maybe there's something in your life right now that you know I'm just choosing to put my head in the sand 
Ignorance is bliss. I just don't want to know because I don't want to have to deal with it. Is ignorance really bliss? No. Like in the, in the long run, definitely not. One of the things that God's word does for us is it invites us to, to pull our head out of the sand. Uh, God asks us some hard questions in his word. And he invites us to answer those questions. And by answering those questions, we pull our heads out of the sand. And now we, we've got something that we know we have to deal with. So this morning, we are going to look at a passage of Scripture from the Sermon on the Mount in which Jesus is going to say some, some challenging things. And there's going to be a temptation to, to go ostrich. Like, I just don't, don't want to know, don't want to have to deal with it. And I want to encourage you to, to be courageous this morning to deal with what God is bringing to us. So join me as we pray. Lord, uh, we pray the same words that uh, your psalmist prayed. Search us, O Lord, and know our heart. Test us and know our anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in us and lead us in the way everlasting. For your glory we pray, in Jesus' name, amen. We're going to be looking at Matthew chapter 6, verse 19 to 25. Matthew chapter 6, verse 19 to 25. Jesus said this, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasure in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. If we were a more formal church, a, a more uh, liturgical church in our formality, after the the reading of the word of God, I would say, this is the word of the Lord. And you all would say what? Thanks be, Thanks be to God. Let's practice. I'll just, I'll, I'll end with the last sentence. You cannot serve both God and money. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So Jesus is inviting us to self-examination. And what he's inviting us to examine is the state of our heart. As we just um, illustrated in our children's sermon, when you go to the doctor's office, they routinely check your heart. And they do it in a variety of ways. We're not going to repeat all of that. But they do that because your heart is one of the best indicators of your health or uh, if there's something that's wrong with your health. 
And so when it comes to our relationship with God, when it comes to our spiritual health, again, the heart is at the, at the center of our spiritual health. And so here's the question for us today. What is the state of your heart? This is the question God's asking us to, to, to reflect on, to examine. What is the state of my heart? Now that is a, a, an ambiguous question. How do we go about answering the state of my, my heart? Well, I think we need to get clear on what a healthy heart is and what an unhealthy heart is. I was recently at the doctor, and, and I came back with a blood pressure, and, and it was a good number. Yeah, so we know at the doctor what a, a healthy blood pressure is and what an unhealthy blood pressure is. And, and the pulse, it was a good number. I'm not going to tell you about my cholesterol number wasn't so good. So, so in the you know, physical heart, we know what a, a healthy heart, you know, we have a good idea of that is. What is a, a healthy heart, spiritually speaking? Well, the scripture says a, a healthy heart is, it uses the word a, a clean heart or a whole heart, a devoted heart. This is a healthy heart. An unhealthy heart, spiritually speaking, is a divided heart. This is not new language for us. If you have gotten married at your wedding, there's a really good chance that you were asked whether or not you promised to love your spouse with all your heart. And, and that question is asked because marriage is not a, a relationship that, that requires a half-hearted devotion. It requires a wholehearted, a, a full-hearted devotion. So spiritually speaking, it's the same thing. Are we wholehearted in our love for God and our devotion to God? And so again, I'll ask you, now that we've cleared up what is a clean heart and an unclean heart, a healthy heart, on, what's the state of your heart this morning? Do you have a clean heart, a whole heart, a devoted heart, or is your heart divided? I recognize that's still ambiguous. Still an ambiguous question. And so to answer, we need some kind of examination. We need the cuff put around our, our, our arm, you know, and we need some, some data. If you're going to go to the doctor's office, they have, you know, you step on the scale and they check your pulse and they put the cuff on your arm. What do we have that's going to yield some, some information to reveal, is my heart healthy? Well, Jesus helps us. Do not store up for yourselves treasure on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasure in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. Those words, do not store up, are better translated, do not keep storing up. Do not keep storing up. Jesus is not saying that we ought not accumulate anything, any provision. He is not saying that. To say that would contradict lots of other passages of Scripture. The proverb in Proverbs 6 says, Consider the ant and be wise like the ant. The ant stores up provision in the summer and it gathers its food at the harvest. But a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest and poverty will come on you like abandoned. So, so we are charged to be wise like the ant, to store up in season. 
Paul's letter to Timothy advises for believers to provide for their relatives and for their immediate family members. And if we don't, he says, you've denied the faith and you're worse than an unbeliever. So we're called to provide for our families. Earlier, Paul tells Tim Timothy that everything that God has created is good. And nothing is to be rejected if it's received with thanksgiving. And so my understanding of scripture is that it is not a sin to have wealth. There's nothing sinful about having wealth. It's not a sin to, to work and earn money. It's not a sin to have a savings account. I'm not sure that it's even a sin to have a retirement account. It's not a sin to have certain comforts that we enjoy. Every good thing is given to us from God if, if we use it with thanksgiving and gratitude. So if all of those things are not a sin, what is Jesus saying? Well, it is a sin to have a disordered heart when it comes to stuff and, and money. What is a sin is when our love for, for things, our love for stuff and money is greater than our love for God. What is a sin is when we trust more in our stuff and our money than we trust in God. I really like the word stuff. It's a great word. Part of it is because I, you know, our kids were raised on veggie tales and they sang about the stuff mart. And if you weren't raised on veggie tales, you have no idea what I'm talking about. Stuff is such a great word. It, it, it accounts for everything. So, so what is stuff? Stuff could be your house and everything that's in your house, your, your cars, your clothes, the food in your cupboard, your toys, your collection of dishes or whatever it else is that you collect, your tools, your books, your fishing lures. This just got personal. There's nothing wrong with having stuff. There's nothing wrong with having any of those things. In fact, we would say some of those things are necessities. Like we need shelter, and we need food, and we need clothes, and we need a few good fishing lures. We need these things. But how many cupboards of food do we really need? And how much should we invest in continually upgrading our shelter? How many square feet is enough? How many outfits are enough? How many books do I really need on my shelf? How many barns? How many closets? How many cupboards? How many storage lockers? How many sheds, garages do we really need? What God wants is our heart. He desires an undivided heart, a whole heart, a clean heart. And it's because God knows that where our treasure is, there our heart will be also. Uh, it is so easy for us today to deceive ourselves into thinking, my, my heart's clean. I, I am fully devoted to God. He's got my, my whole heart and yet not really examine closer, kind of go the way of the ostrich again and just assume everything is good. 
Jesus is inviting us to take our head out of the sand and to look around, and he's inviting us to see the world perhaps differently than we are right now. He's inviting us to a different worldview, a different orientation. Listen to what he said. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are good, your whole body is full of light. But if your eyes are bad, your whole body is full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? Jesus is talking about the way we see the world. If we live only for the moment, we see the world as this finite amount of time that we have to get all the pleasure out of this time, uh, all the security, all the fun that we can, and we have no vision of, of the eternal tomorrow, Jesus calls that darkness. We're seeing the world with, with a, a dark perspective, not a, a true perspective. He's inviting us to a, a bigger orientation. Yes, we are called to consider today, but we are also called to consider the eternal tomorrow. It makes absolute sense. If you are someone who is an unbeliever and you believe this life is all there is and there is no eternity that's waiting for us, it makes absolute sense that you would pour all of your energy and all of your time and all of your resources in trying to have as great a ride as possible through this life. It makes absolute sense if you're an unbeliever who doesn't believe that, that there is a God who is looking out for you, a God who loves you, uh, an almighty God. It makes absolute sense that you would spin your wheels to make sure that, that you've got all your bases covered. Like you are, you've got, you're secure because you've got X amount of dollars in the bank. You've got all the stuff you need. That makes perfect sense. But what doesn't make sense if you're someone who believes that this world is passing away and that my life is but a vapor, like it, it is like that, and there's this eternity that awaits, it makes absolutely no sense that we would only invest in today. That's nonsensical. What doesn't make sense is for someone who believes that they are a child of the Almighty God, who loves them like a, a father or mother loves their child, even more than a father or mother loves their child, what doesn't make sense is that we would spin our wheels to make sure that we've, we can trust in our stuff and trust in our money, that, that we've got to do it, that we can't trust in this good, benevolent God to look out for us. So let me come back to the question. What is the state of your heart are you living wholeheartedly in your devotion to God, or is your heart divided? It's so interesting to me that in the first century, Jesus would, would have this really significant teaching in his Sermon on the Mount, on the Mount about this. Like, even in the first century, they, they wrestled with the things we wrestled with, greed and and envy, and covetousness, and, and fear, and, and trying to get security. They wrestled with the same things, and this is like pre-Amazon, pre-Walmart. There's no slick marketing campaigns designed to like play on our psyche and make us feel like we are less than or we're missing out. Our identity you know, is wrapped up in consumption. That didn't exist like it does today. And if it was hard for them today, how much more for us today? 
I was thinking about the proverb that says how hard it is for a young man to keep his way pure. Talking about, I think, sexuality. But I would think an equally difficult proverb today would be how can an American, how hard it is for us to keep from having a divided heart. Like the odds are stacked against us. We are swimming upstream in our culture if we're going to live with this larger orientation, this larger worldview. It's difficult, but it's not impossible. And it's not a ticket to just put our head in the sand and just keep doing what we're doing and not ask ourselves some challenging questions. What is the state of your heart? Well, it's still a little ambiguous, isn't it? We really need some hard data. We need something that, that we can't deceive ourselves, something that is just black and white. And so I want to offer you one data point this morning. It's only one data point, but it, it's a, a place to start. What percentage of your monthly income are you investing in eternal matters? Now, we're, now we've got a number. What percentage of your monthly income are you investing in eternal matters? What percentage of what God has entrusted to you are you offering back to him? This maybe falls in the category of something that we'd rather not know. I don't want to do the math. Because if I do the math and I find out, I I might feel like I have to do something about it. So I'd rather just kind of not know. Ignorance is bliss. But... But the math is really pretty easy. So again, I want to encourage you this morning to be courageous. And in your mind, you can do the mental math on this one. So let, let me do an illustration. Uh, let's say uh, you are in a family where your annual household income is $48,000. I recognize some of you hear that and think, I wish my household income was $48,000. And others of you hear that and say, I am so glad my household income is not $48,000. But I'm choosing that number because it's easy math. So let's assume it's $48,000. You divide that by 12 months. $4,000 you're bringing in a month. We're leaving taxes out of this. Again, we're going for easy math. $4,000 a month. What is a, a tenth of that? It's easy, right? Just move the decimal point over one. $400. So assuming there's four weeks in a month, that's about $100 a week that that the scripture calls me to be be offering back to God. Uh, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on the tithe this morning. We're going to be talking about that next week. Um, But 10% is kind of a baseline of what God gives us as, you know, this is what what you ought to give back to him, what we invest in eternal matters. So $400 a month, $100 a week. What does it mean if, say, you're in that income bracket and your giving is $20 a month or $40 a month? Like, I'm, I'm in church maybe twice a month, and when I'm here, I, I give $20. What does that mean? I'm not going to interpret it for you, but I, I want you to interpret what it means. Uh, the numbers have been run many times, and, and 
on average, most Christians are giving somewhere between 2 and 3% of what God has entrusted to them. Like, that's been true for, for years. So I want to invite you to, to do the math. Step on the scale this morning. We don't want to step on the scale, but I want to invite you to step on the scale. Let, let the cuff get put on your arm and look at the number. This is not for shame. This is not to condemn this is to invite us to, to be transformed, to make some, some different choices. If the number you see is not what you want it to be, then make a change. And it's going to require great faith. Uh, but I am fully confident that God is going to, to bless you as you trust him and as you test him. So I, I wouldn't be much of a, a leader or a pastor if I wasn't part of this experiment. And so I did the math for Karen and I this week. And uh, our monthly uh, income between her job and my job is right around $7,000 a month. And what we give in a month is about $85 short of that. And so I pledged to, to close the gap this week. What about you? Are you willing to, to close the gap? Leaders of Crossview Church, elders, deacons, are you willing to, to close the gap? Fellow disciples, followers of Christ? This is one of the only, only areas in Scripture where God says, test me. Test me. Bring the whole tithe into this, the warehouse and see if I don't throw open the floodgates and pour out so much blessing on you that you won't have enough room to store it all. Nobody, Jesus said, can serve two masters. This is not about money. God doesn't need our money. He wants our heart. This is about our heart, and the money is the greatest temptation for our heart. And so that's why he addresses money. Nobody can serve two masters. We would like this to be a both-and deal. Like, I, I want to be fully devoted to, to Jesus, and I really want to be devoted to my stuff and to my wealth. Like, kind of both-and. This is not a both-and deal. This is an either-or deal, because Jesus says nobody can serve two masters. You cannot love God and love money. You're going to end up loving one and hating the other. God doesn't want your money. He wants your heart. So we're at the beginning of a, a new year, and I want to encourage you to, to just run a test in 2023. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse and, and see how God responds. Join me as we pray. Lord, we thank you for uh, your blessings in our life, and Lord, you pour out so, so much. Lord, you know that this is a struggle for us uh, for all kinds of different reasons, and, and yet you call us to, to test you, and so I pray that uh, even this week that we will um, not put our heads back in the sand, but we will respond, Lord, and we will test you. Lord, I, I have no doubt that you will prove yourself faithful, so we give you all the glory. We pray this in Jesus' name.